0: Thanks, mate. Hey, right. let me get myself organised. Uh, I, will, I I'd like. Yeah, can we have, have a Mary Audrey, as the, the saying goes? Could you, could you guys just whack up the um, declaration again for for me, please? nope, that one. Hey, there we go. Fantastic. Our declaration on the theme of the goodness of God. Our words of hope and acts of kindness are releasing the power of God into our community. Oh, Amen. Amen. <laughs> but I kind of just want to stop and say... There's loads of people out there who come with words of hope. And there's loads of people out there who come with acts of kindness. And some of them bring more hope and are a lot kinder than we are. So, how come? See, they aren't releasing the power of God into the community. So what is it about our words of hope, about our acts of kindness, what's going to make them different? Okay, thanks guys. It's in my eyes, so brilliant. What's going to make our words, and our acts different? It's going to be because in our speaking and in our doing, we communicate the heart, the goodness of God our Father. It's because we're motivated by His love for them and not by any agenda that we might have for people. In touching us, they need to be touching the Father whose sons and daughters we are. And so that makes me very aware that if I am not wholly and utterly convicted and convinced of his goodness, I'm not going to be communicating his love and his goodness to a world that doesn't know it and doesn't even believe it. If I'm not utterly convinced and convicted of the goodness of God, how on earth can I sit with the widow who's lost her husband in tragic circumstances and is screaming out, why God? And there is no answer, and there are no words that I can give her. And if my heart is not completely and utterly convinced that God is good, there is no chance that she's going to come out of that encounter knowing that despite all that she's gone through, despite all that's going on, despite everything that she doesn't understand, God is good. This world is full of tragedy, of people who, for crying out loud, people who we have prayed for, who are, not, who are sick, who have died. And we scream out, why? And we have to be convinced that God is good, or we, we have nothing. Nothing any better than anyone else. And our words will frankly just be an insult because they will be glib. You know, I at least, I have to be be quite blunt and quite honest. You know, the, the world out there does not believe that God is good if it believes in God at all and sadly the reason that it doesn't believe God is good is because we the church through our our theology through our attitudes through our actions have not presented a God who is good you know they I'll wash my mouth out after, after reading this, 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 but, you know, <laughs> there, is a, there is a whole school of, of teaching out there, they call themselves the new atheists sometimes, you know, you heard of people like Richard Dawkins, yeah, um, they're enormously influential in the media, The world out there is continually getting this background message. God is not good. Now you you get, uh, as I say, I'll wash my mouth after this. But this is what Richard Dawkins has to say. He says, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in the whole of fiction. Jealous and proud of it. A petty, unjust, unforgiving, control freak. A vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser. A misogynist, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. Where did he get that idea from? Sadly, he gets that idea from the theology of the church and the actions of the church and our Bible translations and the way we have interpreted and presented it for hundreds of years now thank God that's beginning to change thank God we can we can stand up here and say our theme for the month is God is good yeah that is not our God But, that's what we have presented. You know, our, our theological arguments, you know, our, our Calvinist arguments that says, you know, well, God created millions and millions of people but actually he only wants a few of them with him and the rest are going to hell. Hmm, it's a nice God. Or the other side traditionally of that, the Armenian side of it, which says God created millions and millions of people and he really loved them to be with him, but actually he's not strong enough to keep them. <coughs> Sorry. And let's be honest, even we ourselves aren't convinced at the very deepest level. Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 2, Jeremiah speaks this word from the Lord which says, He says, my people have committed two sins. They have, uh, they have forgotten me, the fountain of living water. And they've dug for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water the essence you know, is saying, the, I mean, how often do we do it? I mean, I do it. You know, there is a river, of there is like a fountain of living water. It's this picture of, of a, 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 a starving, thirsty man in the desert, desperate for water. And there's this fountain of living water. And he crawls past it and tries to dig himself up. A hold. That's nuts. I mean, is that is that stupid or is that stupid? But we do it. How many times at the deepest emotional level in our lives do we run for security and self-worth and significance to anything other than the fountain of living water? And Jeremiah is saying that' that's, that's the essence of what sin is about. Oswald Chambers said, "The root of all sin is the suspicion that God is not really good. If we were truly convinced of god 's goodness, we would run to the the fountain of living water. We wouldn't need prayer ministry lines. We wouldn't need sozo. We wouldn't need restore. Because we'd run to the fountain of living water. We're not really convinced ourselves. John Sanford, who was one of the, the pioneers of inner healing ministry, said that inner healing is just the evangelization of our unbelieving hearts. We have got to be convinced, we have got to be convicted of the goodness of our God, of the goodness of our Father. Jeremiah 33, there's a wonderful description of the goodness of God extended to his people in deliverance, talking about how, you know, how he's going to restore Jerusalem and how he's going to restore his people. And the wasteland where the jackals have been howling is going to become this beautiful, beautiful uh, place. And in the middle of it, he says, this is what Yahweh says. In the place of which you say it's a waste without man or beast, In the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate without man or inhabitant or beast there will be heard again the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness the voice of the bridegroom the voice of the bride the voices of those who sing as they bring thank offerings to the house of Yahweh beautiful and they sing give thanks to the Lord of hosts for Yahweh is good for his steadfast love endures forever Give thanks to Yahweh for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever and i just I was just caught by that by that declaration, and it keeps recurring you know that phrase it occurs as the, as the the people sing praises as the priests sing praises, when David brought the ark home to Jerusalem. It occurs when Solomon dedicated the temple and when Solomon dedicated the temple and the priests sang that, the glory of the Lord fell in that place. That by that's 2 Chronicles 5 and 2 Chronicles 7, by the way. When Jehoshaphat was under threat, 2 Chronicles 20, you know, when he sent sent the singers out before the armies of Midian, or Midian or Amalekites, or some, some It of some sort or other. Okay. What did they sing? They sang, Yahweh is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And what happened? Well, we know what happened. When the people of Israel returned to the land, in, in Ezra 3, when the foundations of the second temple were laid, once again they sang, Yahweh is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And there's, well, there's at least five psalms that I found where that is the start of the psalm or that is the end of the psalm. And as I looked at it, I realised that the very first time that God's people were taught to sing that was by David when he brought the ark home in 1 in 1 Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chronicles and I just suddenly stopped and I thought hang on a minute that's important because David like marks a transition in the revelation of God through scripture David is the first guy in scripture that we find who realised that actually God isn't this scary, almighty, all-powerful, terrifying being out there. But God is someone who wants a relationship. God is someone you can fall in love with. God is someone who loves you, and David was the first one to, to to find that revelation to bring it to us. See, right from the beginning, right from all the awful events in the garden, the very first thing that happened when the man and the woman ate of the fruit they became scared of God they went and hid from God why did they hide? well they knew what they'd done wasn't, wasn't good and they thought because that wasn't good we need to be punished and so they hid and I haven't got time to be talking about the the two trees and the living out of the tree of life rather than the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they were afraid of God. Did they have any reason to be afraid of God? Did he do anything to punish? No. He clothed them. He, yeah, i I. I, 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 I I was once told, you know, they 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 covered themselves with fig leaves. i I've, I've never worn a fig leaf, but I am told it's extremely uncomfortable. It's very itchy, <coughs> very rough, very uncomfortable. And God provided them with something soft and comfortable, and you know that wasn't going to irritate and. And he protected them. That's why he sent them out of the garden. Again, no time to go into that. That was protection, not punishment. There was no need to be afraid of him. But the effect of sin was to make them afraid. And that's carried on. And you can see it out there in every religion in the world, whatever God they've got. They're scary. Got to keep on the right side of them. Got to give them whatever appropriate offerings and whatever it is that they need because God's scary. And then when Israel comes to comes to Sinai and they see the the lightning and the, the thunder on the top of the mountain, and they're scared. Oh no, Moses, you go up. You know, we, we'll we'll do whatever you say, but you know. That's scary. I don't think it was scary. I think it was. It looked scary, but I think that was just God getting really happy and really excited that His people were there. It just <laughs> looked scary, and the effect of shame and the whispers of the enemy says God's scary, and then just a little while before this time in 1 Chronicles, when David brings the ark to Jerusalem. You might remember he tried to bring the ark back a time before, from the house of Obed-Edom. And you know the story. Most I'm hoping most of you know the story, I'm sure. But uh put the... Put the ark on a, on a cart, nice, nice new cart, and got some really nice, strong oxen. Pick them up and off we go. Bumpy road down the mountain. You know, Jerusalem's in the, the mountains. And the oxen stumble and the cart starts to tip. And one of the guys who's there. He, you know, I don't. I don't want the, this. This ark is precious. I don't want to want it to get damaged. And he puts out his heart, his his hand, and he dies. And let's be honest, that looks like God's really scary. Doesn't it? It looks like God's not someone you want to come close to. It doesn't, let's be honest, it doesn't look like a very good God. It looks like a God who gets seriously ticked off just because you don't do things quite the right way. It looks like a God who is basically one of these second-rate Middle Eastern potentates who's got his, he's got his bodyguards around and anybody who comes up and comes anywhere near him is whop your head off because he's too insecure to let anyone close to him. That's what it looks like. And I think David struggled with that. He left the ark nearby where it was, and it was a little while before he dared to try and bring the ark to Jerusalem. He had to decide, you know, if that's what's going to happen, do I really want this ark in my city? Is it safe? And okay, he worked out one of the things that he realised was there was, you know, there was a particular way that the ark was supposed to be carried and all the rest of it. But really, as I say, was God so so ticked off when, you know, they Scripture tells us God looks on the heart. What was the heart of these people? It was only for God. David, with what he'd learned about what he thought God was like, God is good. You know, all the time that he'd spent out on the hills with the sheep, worshipping and spending time with God, he discovered that this God wants relationship, wants to be close. It comes out in, all, in so many of his Psalms. And yet, now, all of a sudden, with all of the, what he sought to do, It's all gone pear-shaped. And it looks like God's not like that at all. And he had to wrestle with that. And that's okay. It's okay for us to question. It's okay for us to wrestle with that. Because we have to come out of it determined that God is good. Like David came out of that that however long it was, weeks or months or whatever, before he again dared to bring the ark in, he had come to the absolute conviction that whatever he saw, whatever he didn't understand, this God is good. And he brought the ark into Jerusalem with rejoicing. And the people were taught that song. That's the first time it comes in. Yahweh is good. And is his faithful kindness endures forever. You know, it would be so tempting to look at that incident and say, well, you know, our good Professor Dawkins has kind of got a good point. It's not. But, you know, because Jesus, you know, Jesus said, "Which one of you, if he has a son, asks him for a, a fish, is going to give him a scorpion? Which one of you has a son, asked him for bread, will give him a stone?" He's basically saying, "Don't expect God." to be less good than you would be to your own kids he's saying if you imagine that God is going to do stuff that you wouldn't do to your own kids that's not a good God that's not my father he's saying because my father isn't like that my father's better than you. You yeah? know? If, i come back to this maybe later, but if Jesus is saying, you need to forgive your brother 70 times 7, in other words, without limit, don't, don't expect that God's going to be less forgiving than he's expecting you to be. And I guess maybe with maybe David realised that you know this side of the cross, that side of the cross, that side of Jesus coming and dealing with 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 sin and making the way to the Father. Yeah, it is dangerous. And all the rules and all the ceremonials and and, and whatever are important because they provide a safe framework. But it's not because God wants to break out and hurt and damage. It's not because God's just ticked off because you aren't following the rules. It's because those rules give you a safe way until Jesus made the way completely open. So I don't really know what David learned in, in his wrestling but out of it came a conviction, an absolute conviction of God's current goodness. and um, We've got to be prepared to go there because we, we have things in our lives, don't we? That make us question. and We have to come to terms with that. We've had to come to terms with that. No, do you wanna-
1: I've got a bit of a croaky throat, so do excuse me. Um, (laughs) You may be getting a Merle jam sandwich tonight, if we've got time, because um, John said, I'd like you to speak in the middle, you see. And lots of people call me Merle, so you're going to get a Merle jam sandwich. (laughs) The sweet and tasty bit. (laughs) Um... Just to say that, um, to start with, that I have been recently rewriting my journals. And I've been keeping a journal for over 30 years. (coughs) So that's a lot of journals. And in my journals, I've written down all of my conversations with God. And looking back, I've had mixed feelings about reading all these conversations with God because they've sort of included all of my anxieties thoughts, feelings disappointments as well as key scriptures and prophetic words and words of encouragement Um, but reading back it's 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 shown me two things really it's shown me that just like children they tend to demand don't they when they're little they demand things they say I want this and I want that and I used to try and teach my little ones to say you should say I would like not I want but (coughs) reading back through my journals this is what I was like I was saying to God I want this and I want that but actually I didn't know what I really wanted and I didn't know what was best for me and um, I didn't know when it was the right time to have the things I wanted either. That's the the bad news. (laughs) The good news is that It's shown me what God has done in my life. The good news is that I'm not like I was 30 years ago. And in Romans 8 verse 28, it says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good for for those who love God and accord according to his purpose. And today I can stand here and say that I am genuinely and honestly convinced that God is good. And that he has used every one of my challenges, disappointments, anxieties... to propel me into my destiny. He has shown me that through all the sort of frustrations I've had and the blind alleys I've gone down, he's he's, he's enlarged me through it. And he's forged in me a deeper trust and a dependency on him. He's forged in me a deeper sense of his heart for me and for other people. And, you know, we've been listening to Graham Cook doing a course with um, Les and Jean, which has been brilliant. And he talks a lot about the learning is in the process. And we sometimes think that God is like a magician and you might have experienced him being like that and he can do things absolutely just like that. But in my experience, he hasn't waved a magic wand and given me everything I've wanted just like that and changed me just like that. It's been a process. It's been a learning, it's been through the process that I've learnt. And I've learnt that it's not about what I want, anyway. It's not about what I do. It's all about who I am becoming. And I worked as a teaching assistant for 18 years. And the one thing that I discovered about (laughs) almost... Um, more than anything in that job, was that it wasn't about how well I could do my job. It was how well I got on with other people, how well I could, well, what, what sort of pleasure I was to work with, actually, and also my attitude in stressful situations. So, I just believe that the Father is using our circumstances to bring us a good outcome. Whatever we've gone through, whatever we go through, whatever life throws at us, it's an opportunity to turn that around and um, for him to bring out the good for us and for everyone else. See, my, my kids, you know, they did demand, but they don't demand anymore. They are secure in our love. They know that John and I love them very much, and that if it was in our power to do so, we would give them absolutely everything. And, you know, if I'm asked, well, why am I so convinced that God is good? It's because I know He loves me. And he loves me perfectly. And I'm secure in that love. And he says that everything he does, everything I go through, is going to be good. going to turn out good for me. And uh, I'm the sort of person, I mean, I'm the sort of person that needs to experience things. I know it's good to have knowledge, but, you know, we talk about um, knowing that God loves us. But it's not enough to know that God loves us. It's not wasn't good enough for me. I needed to experience him loving me. And I think the reason I can be so confident that he is good is that because I have experienced him loving me. And it's like with the Holy Spirit. I mean, I wrestled with this for some time because I know the Holy Spirit is my comforter, but I didn't actually experience Him comforting me. And I think, you know, don't let anyone fool you into thinking that you cannot experience God loving you, that you cannot feel Him loving you, that you cannot feel the comfort of the Holy Spirit, because you can but the first thing to do is to start believing that you can. And then you, it all starts from there. So, yes, I've become secure in God's love. My heart can rest and trust him to work everything together for my good, my fulfillment, my satisfaction, and my destiny. So, you got timed?
0: Yeah. Myself. I think Chrissy will give me a few more minutes, won't you, Chrissy? I bet he's good. Yeah. Just Yahweh is good; His steadfast love endures forever. I, I, I kind of I unpack that a little bit because. It says he's good. His steadfast love, Hebrew chesed, we, it's translated loving kindness and covenant-keeping faithfulness. And, but actually, I went to my Strong's Dictionary and it just says, it's favour, good deeds, kindness, mercy, pity, God's goodness produces actions on his part that demonstrate his goodness in practical ways. Ways that impact our personal well-being. And it says that endures forever. And that's a really weak translation because my strong says it actually means to the vanishing point. In other words, when everything else fades away, when there is nothing else left, when you have nothing, when there is nothing, God's love, his kindness, his mercy, his pity, his acts towards you of well-being will still be there when everything else has run away. Did David come to a good revelation? That is good. Good. That is a good God. This is the God that Jesus came to reveal. This is how we have to to understand through the lens of Jesus. But sometimes... Oh, sometimes, what do we do? Scripture says, Romans 2 4, he says, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's God's kindness that causes us to turn around, not some threat of punishment, some threat of a a horrible future. God is not motivated to punish. There's no external demand, no internal repulsion that motivates him to punish, rather he comes to take upon himself all the horrors of sin and carry sin into the presence of the Father where the wrath of God can destroy it. It's not a God who's motivated to judge. John 5.22, Jesus said, The Father judges no one. The Father judges no one. But has committed all judgment to the Son. And then in John twelve forty seven, Jesus said, I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. And he says, I don't judge you to the most blatant and unrepentant sinner. The Father doesn't judge. Jesus says, the Father doesn't judge. And he says, it's up to Jesus. And Jesus says, I don't judge. Because he comes... It comes in the biblical sense of being a judge to set things right. To make things as they should be. To settle things. Let me me skip on. Because unless we are sure, Hebrews 11 says, whoever comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. Of those who come to Him, and if you think that, well, you might get, you know, you might get a, a gift; it might be all right, or you might get a clip round the ear. You're going to be coming with confidence before the throne of grace. If you're unsure of what you're going to face, are you going to face the goodness and the love and the kindness of God? I two things very quickly to finish off with I, I, just, I saw this so clearly actually last week when, when I was sitting with a, a counselling client who'd, who'd come to me he'd come to me with anger issues he'd come to me with a real issue about being able to know unconditional love and being able to approach God and I, I mean I've been working with, with him for, for a year or more now But on on Friday, the week before and this Friday, we began to unpack the goodness of God together. And this big, he's a a doctor, he's a big, beefy rugby player as we talked through together the goodness of God, the kindness of God. This big, beefy guy Broke down in tears. I have this overwhelming awareness, he said, of being loved. I have never experienced that before. I have no idea what to do with it. (laughs) Because something clicked that God is good. That God is good. He's not motivated to judge. He's not motivated to punish. But he is good. He is kind. He is... Oh, man. John tells us, doesn't he, in 1 John, God is love. Doesn't he? We know that. Okay. Now, probably the most famous passage about love is 1 Corinthians 13. Love is... And all these things that love is. Well, if love is all those things, then God is all those things. And so, listen God is patient and kind, He really is. He's not going to give up on you, He's not going to get fed up with your failures. He's not going to turn his back on you or give you the cold shoulder or decide you're not good enough. God is patient and kind. And he's certainly more kind than we could imagine him to be. More kind than we would be able to be. So when somebody says, God said this, or God did that, is that kind? Would I? see that as kind God is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude God's not jealous or boastful He's not how can I say this We are so often so careful to say, oh yes, God, please do this for us, and we'll give you all the glory. Do you know he doesn't mind? He really doesn't. He's not boastful, he's not jealous, he's not insecure enough. You know? He's perfectly capable of looking after his own glory. Oh, by the way, he's given that glory to us. Is that good? You know, the things we say, you see, we, 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 say, we, we read, God says, I will not give my glory to another. And we forget that Jesus said, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. So he has given us his glory. God is not irritable. Thank goodness for that. God does not demand his own way. Mm. Doesn't that knock your head sideways? God does not insist on his own way. God keeps no record of being wronged. No record of being wronged. God does not rejoice about injustice, but he rejoices whenever the truth wins out. God never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. This is our God. He is good. And I was going to read a quote, a long quote from a wonderful book by a guy called Darren Hufford. The misunderstood God, but I won't do that because we're going to run out of time. God is good. That conviction needs to sink deep into our hearts. And like Merle said, the way that's going to sink in is to experience His love, to allow Him to come in and allow Him to love us. You know, it's really scary to allow yourself to be loved because it means you have to be vulnerable. But I tell you, he is good. It is safe to let him in. In every area of your life, in every area of your feelings, in every area of your emotions, it's safe to let him come in. And his love will change you. His love will change you more than any threat, more than any determination, more than anything else. His love will change you. And it's here. It's available. He's, that's what he wants. You know, the kingdom is where the king gets to do whatever he wants. And the thing that our father wants to do is love his children. The thing he wants is for us to experience that love and to live in it moment by moment and day to day. And uh, as we move on, because I'll finish there, that's available. You know, we had a question this morning at, at Cafe Church. What would, if you knew you could never fail, if you knew you couldn't fail, what would you do? One of the things that I'd do if I knew that I couldn't fail is I will guarantee every one of you experience of the Father's love right here and right now. And I guess I ought to move on that. <laughs> because that's available. And I don't I don't know. If you want afresh that utter and total conviction of his goodness, that experience of being loved, why don't you stand? Why don't you stand and, and I speak over you his blessing. Because your Father delights in you. Your Father wants you to experience the touch of His love in the deepest place in your heart so that you are utterly, totally convinced. And so in the name of God, your Father, I bless you to know his delight in you. I bless you to experience his goodness in the deepest places of your heart. I bless you with the courage and the determination to cast aside anything, questions his goodness. I bless you with the ongoing vision of his smile upon you. I release upon you the anointing of his love, the anointing of sonship, that you will experience what it is to be fathered by the most perfect of all fathers, who made you because he loved you before the beginning of the world. And holds you, and will hold you. Loves you, and will love you. And cannot ever turn his face from you. Because you are the delight of his heart. And the apple of his eye. And I bless you to receive that now and in increasing measure every day of your life. In Jesus' name.
1: Thank you very much John and Mel. I believe that, um, I do believe that that is a word in season for all of us and I do believe that the Father has spoken through these guys tonight. Um, And God is good, isn't he? He is very good. And we can probably all stand up here um, and give testimony of how good he is. And we are all faced with different challenges. And it is about the process. And it is about us being changed every day. And it is about us coming to that place where It's not that we say, I want, but it's we say, Father, what do you want for us? Um, I'm aware it's just nearly 10 to 9, but that's fine. Um, There is communion on both sides.